Hi, I'm Mike Allen, Head of Research at Zeus, and today I'm talking about some of the key themes in the UK automotive industry with Peter Smythe, Director of Swansway. Swansway is a fascinating family-run business with over 55 years in the motor trade. Despite the rapid change we've seen in the last five years, never mind the last 55 years, Swansway remains at the cutting edge of the modern motor industry, and I know Peter will have some firm views about the future thereafter. Peter's been a very valuable industry contact of mine for well over 10 years and often gives me a no-nonsense view on what's happening in the industry. Peter, it's a pleasure to have you on and thank you for taking the time to speak to me. Perhaps we could start with an overview of the history of your family in the motor trade and what the Swansway Group currently looks like since your family founded the business in 2003. Yeah, sure. Um, uh, Mike, uh, as ever, thanks for uh, for having for having me on. Um, my father entered the um, the motor trade uh, back in 1967. Um, um, he pre- previous to that, actually, he uh, he sold washing machines for um, a very famous company in the 1960s called Hoover Limited. Um, and uh, he he, found, he sort of fell into the motor trade because he wanted to be in business and he went into it knowing absolutely nothing about it. Um, but him and my mum uh, uh, built a business up. It was called Ratcliffe Road Garage Company Limited, which later became RRG. Um, and they were fortunate enough to get the Toyota franchise back in 1970. And from there, he actually grew that business to become at the time when he sold the business in uh, November 2000, the largest Toyota and Lexus dealer in Europe. Um, wow. um, and then he, uh, him, him and his, uh, his, his longtime business partner decided that uh, they, uh, they wanted to ret- uh, re- retire and, and, and go the different ways. They sold the business to a company called Marubeni Corporation and, and RRG is still uh, growing and flourishing uh, to this very day under the guidance of, uh, of Aaron Bangham. Um, back in 2003, um, myself, John and David, uh, along with my father, we as, as sons were way too young to retire. I was uh, 36 years of age and anyway, couldn't afford to retire because I wasn't a shareholder and neither were John and David. Um, and we we set up the, the Swansway business um, when we bought the shares of a company called LC Charles Limited, uh, which was a, a Volkswagen and uh, an Audi retailer. And the business has kind of grown from there. Um, we now turn over roughly 850 million. Um, we've got about 20 franchise sites and we have some uh, non-franchise use sites. Um, we're a very profitable organization. Um, last year in 2022, we'll show a profit before tax of, of roughly 22 and a half million pounds, which is a, a good return on sales. Um, mm-hmm. And um, myself, uh, John, David, and indeed even my father, um, who is, you know, getting uh, getting on a little bit nowadays, um, are still involved in the business on, on a day-to-day basis. And we enjoy what we do. So that's about us, really. No, it's great. I mean, I often describe all of you guys really as, you know, motor retail runs through your veins, really. You, you, you know, every time I speak to you, 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 you're on it on a daily basis. And I guess just leading into that, really, just in terms of the used car market this year, you know, there's there's a number of theories. I think some investors are concerned. Will we see a crash given the strength that we've seen in, in particularly in 2021, or is it a soft landing? 
what what are you seeing in your business and where do you think residuals will finish at the end of the year well it's an interesting one that um there's definitely if i could allay the fears of any investors there is definitely definitely not going to be a crash there really can't be a crash because if you actually think back during those covid years there were roughly some two million cars that were not produced then indeed registered and entering into the uh, into the used car ecosystem and those cars that were new back in 2000, uh, 2020 2021 are now two and three year old used cars which quite frankly are not there yeah all the yeah. motability cars that uh, they were not able to change are not there yeah. so what we are finding is contrary to that used car prices certainly internal combustion engine cars the yeah. prices of the cars are very very stable and yeah. i do not see certainly in 2023 any form of crash at all i think it will be a scramble for the um, the used car supermarkets and the franchise dealers to actually fill the forecourts no uh, agree and and that's that's certainly been our thesis as well to investors and and chatting to water trader on it that's what their data is currently seeing as well so feels like we're on the same page on that one um yeah. and and in terms of new new car supply peter i mean i think it feels like we will get a recovery on 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 last year and smmt forecasting about 1.8 but what what do you think and you know we often think maybe natural demand is 2.1 2.2 so even in a year of supply recovery it still might be below natural demand but what what do you think the new normal looks like going forward I, I, i'm assuming gone are the days of 2.5 2.6 but um yeah. what do you think the new normal will be in the new car market um well i would like to think that it would rest at around 2 million vehicles because yeah. that if that is the case then hopefully the OEMs can be profitable which is obviously important but I think also it gives the chance for us as retailers to remain fairly profitable as well um, and although the OEMs have said we've learned the lessons of overproduction if I'm being completely candid with you I'm not sure that they will yeah. I think there will always be somebody who's on a main board of an OEM who wants to make a name for himself or herself by getting out some more units. Because if you think of the way a factory works, they've got a they've, they've got a set overhead. And I guess once they've produced over a certain amount of vehicles, the profit in the additional vehicles is huge. Com, uh, com, you know, with the, the last few are obviously the ones that make all the profit. Um, so I think they're always going to be tempted by that. Um, and I think it's um, it's I, I don't know what the new normal is going to look like, Mike. Um, yeah. the, um, there's an awful lot of supply out there at this moment in time of battery electric vehicles. And I know we're going to talk about that later. Um, and, and, and that's having some um, some effects that we've, we've never really quite seen before in the in the motor trade. So we're all going to have to get uh, our head around that. But I'd like to think that the new normal would be somewhere around about two million units. But I'm fearful that it might actually be more. Yeah, well, I, I think oversupply. I, I mean, we've been there in the industry before, haven't we? We know what it looks like, but perhaps hopefully not the same extent to the oversupply we've had in you know pre-covid times which 
was bad for margins. So yes, it was. And and I, I guess as we might as well segue into EV cars and what does it have in store. And th- there's a lot of different themes within this in terms of likely demand from consumers, impact of higher running costs versus a couple of years ago, potential tariffs from 2024, the volatility of RVs that we saw at the back end of last year on the back of test the pricing um, strategies, etc. I mean, it'd be good to unpick all of that with you, but what's your view on EV? Do you think it really is the future or will we see other powertrains come into the equation, you know, uh, over the next decade? It's an interesting one, actually. And and funnily enough, I'll hark back to right at the beginning. You know, I mentioned that my father uh, worked for uh, Hoover Limited and and, um, one of his jobs early doors, he used to sell uh, washing machines door to door. Yeah. Um, in the very late 50s and 1960s. And um, he was telling me, and, and this was uh, almost unbelievable, he said that the, the price of a Hoover Keymatic Deluxe in 1961 was about the same price as an Austin Mini. Is that now, right? Wow. Yeah, I know. That is, I, 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 it's staggering. <laughs> now, if you think, I don't know what a Mini is nowadays, um, mm. but I know you can go into AO online and you can buy a washing machine for 250 quid. Yeah. And... What he did say was this, he said, although the product was very expensive and it was sold predominantly on payments as well, um, what he actually did, and I'm going to use an old, uh, very unwoke thing here, but he said it actually changed the the housewife of the 1960s. It gave them an extra day in the week because he said to me, he said that Monday was predominantly washing day, which took all day. (laughs) But with a washing machine, it saved time. Yeah. Um, and it enhanced quality of life. Yeah. Um, and good technology tends to save time, eventually save money and hence and enhance quality of life. My issue with uh, EVs at this moment in time is they don't save you time no. and they don't enhance the actual quality of your life. They might enhance the environment, although that is very subjective anyway if you look at the whole life cost of an ev um you know you get all the angst about charging and you know can i go from manchester to london and back on one charge well no i can't because i live in manchester and um so um i although i know billions and billions of euros dollars pounds or whatever have been have been invested in ev i am not sure that it is the final solution i think it's a stepping stone because it doesn't yeah. give you yeah. it doesn't give you the things that technology should because it, yeah. it's driven by environmental issues and it's driven by by government issues and that's probably not what people want to hear and i guess it was forced upon oems as well with the yes. emissions fine so yeah. it's um it's an interesting way of looking at it really because it has to work for the consumers the oems and, and everybody and I guess it works to varying degrees at the moment but is it is it the final solution I think that's a great way of looking at it really so do you think we'll we'll see hydrogen come into it um over the next decade or any I think, views on I, that? I think I think we'll definitely see hydrogen come into it I mean yeah. if you actually think about it if you think of the actual total infrastructure you know you've got um You've got petrol stations, fuel stations already in situ. So the land is bought by the oil companies. 
What is to stop them digging up the ground and converting those tanks and having hydrogen in there that they can then dispense very quickly in the same way that they can dispense petrol or diesel today uh, to customers? And somebody told me that it actually takes nine minutes from you pulling in a forecourt to putting your fuel in, to going in the shop, to buying your uh, your uh, your bag of crisps, your your can of diet coke, and your newspaper, and then walking out again, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and I, I I just don't think that the government are in any way going to get there with regard to the infrastructure needed. Um, we haven't yeah. got enough electricity in the grid to actually cope with everybody driving electric vehicles. It takes ten years to build a nuclear power station. Yeah, yeah. I, I cannot, I personally think that the 2030 uh, deadline that uh, the Conservative government set, I just feel that it'll, it won't be a vote winner and they'll do a, they'll do a, 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 a U-turn on it. Yeah, I mean, I, I know, could be wrong. Well, I, I, it's interesting that nine minutes versus, I mean, I've been an EV driver for three years and I've driven across the country and you've got to a lot you know at least an hour so it's it's yeah. it's finding the right charging station uh hoping there's a cost nearby so you can catch up on some emails and yeah. whereas it cost 25 quid to to have a full charge three years ago it's now 80 quid 70 80 quid so you know from a consumer point of view it does add significant more time and actually that the, the price difference now is uh, is is ever closing, so it's it's interesting. Yeah, but you you think of this, you you think of this, Mike, right? Let's say that you're a a rep for a, a large, uh, you know, um, uh, somebody like uh, Cousins Soap or um, or Roundtrees or Nestle, and somebody said, look, you're going to have to, um, we we we've got a carbon neutral policy, and you're going to have a battery electric vehicle. There is an onus on that person working for that company to actually charge their vehicle up at home yeah now yeah. Uh, at this moment in time with the cost of living crisis who's going to want to do that mm-hmm. and now I, I guess that might be a short-term thing but that person might be thinking i wish i still had a diesel car and could just take <laughs> the local the local shell station and fill up on the company credit card yeah. um and, yeah. and and that is why i think that there is definitely, I mean, and we're seeing this at this moment in time, we're seeing massive volatility in the RVs of, uh, of, of, yeah. of, of battery electric vehicles. Um, we, we, we dispose of our cars, our trade cars, uh, through Mannheim auctions. And yeah. currently, the auctions have actually never been better. Yeah. But the prices of BEVs are literally all over the place. They really is are. That, is that just due to Tesla, Peter, or is there are there other issues? Is the battery degradation issues people are worried about now as they become three or four years old? Can, can you can you put your finger on what's driving that, or is it a multitude of factors? I think it's a number of factors, but one yeah. of the one of the uh, the factors that all the OEMs seem to want to go upmarket with their products. And, you know, although they're saying that we're going to pay you less margin, remember, it's on a, on a higher priced vehicle. So you'll still make the same amount of money, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm kind of thinking, well, what about the man in the street? Yeah. And, um, you know, um, 
I don't think there's volatility in the cheaper EVs. Yeah. Um, I think that they are still okay. But you know, you look. I we just I I just looked at a um a, a eighteen month old mocker that went through the auction the other day, and cap clean on the pra, on on the car was twenty five thousand pounds. Wow. Wow. It's a lot of money for a Vauxhall mocker. Yeah. Yeah. Um. And you've got to ask yourself the question, arguably, at this moment in time, are the prices too high? But then if the contract hiring leasing companies have got to set lower residual values, it's going to impact on sales because, you know, instead of somebody wanting to pay £450 a month, having to pay £750 a month just is not a goer. No, no. So it's going to be a real rocky road for, uh, for EVs. And that's why... And maybe I'm being controversial, but I actually see it as as I don't see it as the final solution. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think a few people have said that. But obviously, I think EV technology will improve from here. Infrastructure is getting rolled out all the time. The the cost differential is definitely we felt that in the last six months. And I guess the OEMs are committed to EV at the moment. Massively. it's when Massively. the change occurs, I guess, and yeah. whether cu- customers push back is going to be fascinating. It, it is going to be fascinating. I mean, I look at the, a lot of the brands that um, that, that, that that we represent, uh, particularly around um, uh, around the Volkswagen Group, and they have undoubtedly nailed their EV colours to the mast. Yeah. Um, it's interesting that some of the Japanese players, Toyota, and indeed Honda um, have almost just held back a little bit. And um, they do have a credible hydrogen product. And I guess you could say they're longer term thinkers as well. So they might be looking at this on a 10 or 15 year horizon as opposed to three to five years. So interesting how they're behaving uh, very much so. And Peter, if we can move on to kind of you know, impact of higher interest rates, financing costs. I mean, I guess, again, we've got to consider this from a consumer perspective, which you've touched on. Mm. But also just running a dealership group, as you do, in terms of stocking costs as well and and what you're paying on bank interest, et cetera. You know, as a, as a nimble operator as you are and highly profitable, how are you how are you handling this at the moment? Well, I think it's been very fortunate that we've been extremely profitable over the last three years. And, and, and you know, we, we, we've generated um, a, a PBT over the last three years of somewhere in the region of £60 million. And, yeah. and what we haven't done, uh, fortunately, is uh, we haven't dividended it all out and, um, you know, gone and bought fancy things in the south of France, boats and helicopters <laughs> and all that. Um, we, 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 we've, we've been sensible about it. So what yeah. we're able to do at the moment, because you're quite right, funding used cars has got ever more uh, expensive. You know, it's now running at about five, five and a half percent. And actually, it's more because if you look at uh, um, companies like uh, Lombard and a lot of the funders, they actually charge you a fee for putting a car on funding and taking a car off funding as well. So yeah. that just tweaks the rates as well. Um, at the moment, and because I think there's an awful lot of volatility in the, the M&A market, so we've not yeah. been active there, uh, yeah. we're using our own cash where possible. 
um, okay. but we're okay. but we're in a we're in a fortunate uh, we're in a we're in a fortunate position. So what we as a a business are doing, we're still charging the branches the same price they'd pay if they were to put the vehicles on Lombard or Black Horse or or or, or whoever. Um, but obviously that that cash is now coming back to us, and yeah. we're, we're we're earning from that. Um, fortunately because we have made very strong profits in the last uh, three years we're able to uh, we're able to do that um but you know for maybe younger and less mature companies it's obviously going to be uh, an issue and it's undoubtedly um, an issue for the uh, the consumer i'm not sure that the consumer in general is actually too sensitive uh to higher aprs it's more on affordability in pound notes you know um yeah. uh, you know there's always a sweet spot for a car at around about 350 to 500 quid that's yeah. what people seem to want or um not want but are able to afford to uh, to get themselves into a vehicle when you get into eight and nine hundred pounds a month you're into a, a separate income bracket yeah, yeah. And are you seeing much evidence of people trading down? So go, I don't know, going from Audi to Hyundai, Kia, or, uh, you, you know, is there, is that becoming a, um, a a consideration or too early? Well, I, I actually, I kind of take issue with that because I don't think um, trading down to, use those two, um, those two brands there, Hyundai and Kia, I don't think actually with the product quality of some of those brands now that you're actually trading down, um, you know, you look at some of the um, some of the product that they have, uh, have, have brought out and it, it is absolutely superb. I've not we haven't I, I haven't yet seen people trading down from, say, Audi into Volkswagen. Yeah. Um, I, I haven't seen I haven't seen that. Um but what I would say is the the used car market for reasonably late low mileage used vehicles is particularly strong at the moment. So yeah. maybe I'm not quite in tune as I should be. I mean, do you think I, I guess the consideration when we, we look at the numbers is, you know, the premium brands help hold the value more and you can rely on those values. And, and ultimately, sometimes it can it can work out cheaper at the end um yeah you know the customers educated on that did the customers understand that or um is it you know is it still based on what am i paying on a monthly basis i think i think they've educated uh, themselves on that mm. over the last uh 10 to 15 years because i mean we all use the misnomer we talk about the premium brands and when people think of premium brands they'll think of bmw audi and mercedes-benz and then they'll talk about volume brands such as say renault peugeot ford etc etc but the fact is the premium brands are the volume brands yeah yeah um and 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 so the um the 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 customers uh self-educated to know that the stronger RV will drive a lower payment, and that is where the premium brands, if we, if we call them, have been able to um, massively um, get ahead over the last, uh, certainly over the last 10 years. And that's why I think you've seen the real rise in market shares of BMW, Audi, Mercedes, and the like. And yeah. I'm not sure that the uh, the blunt instrument of just um, huge price reductions by Tesla is actually going to help them in the long term. Uh, no, 
No. And I guess you can make the monthly payment whatever you want, depending on how much you put into the car. And I guess quite a yeah. lot of consumers have have been cash rich and have you, you know coming out of COVID, et cetera. Ooh. So from a budgeting perspective, perhaps they just accept they put a bit more in and keep the, the monthly payments the same. PCP finance gives you that flexibility, I suppose. It does, and, and it also gives the finance-backed OEMs, you know, you've got sort of like, you know, Volkswagen Financial Services with Volkswagen Group, the ability to be able to take a vehicle and be probably more bullish on the RV than, say, a white label finance company would be, you know, such as, as Black Horse um, with uh, with JLR. And, and you know, I, I look at the, the RVs that the, the Volkswagen Financial Services put out, for example, or Mercedes or BMW, they are very, very strong, which brings that payment down and makes the hike in uh, interest rates more bearable. Yeah, yeah, got it. And I guess fin finally, I know you've got strong views on the emergence of agency, so it'd be, it'd be great to kind of run through that with you. But clearly it's coming across some of your key brands. Um, yeah. uh, perhaps if we start with the concept of agency, what you think it does to the retail model, um, and then if you can, um, update us on how plans are progressing and whether you think there's a kind of smooth integration on those plans as well if you're able to answer that yeah i'll, I'll be completely candid uh, with you um I, the, the all the oems have have, have have gone out and told the um the franchise dealer the reason for agency is to offer tra price transparency to the customer um personally i don't believe that's the case i believe it's a margin grab yeah. um uh, because I believe they've got to reduce their distribution costs, and they're doing that through um, the uh, the dealer margin. Um, whether it, it's undoubtedly coming, of that there's the, 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 there's no doubt. Um, but um, I am bracing myself along with my brothers for the fact that we are going to be less profitable when the agency model is in full force. Um, what are we doing to to combat uh, to combat that? Um, uh, we we we've got a, a number of um, an issue, uh, initiatives that are going along uh, on with regard to contract hire and leasing um, and doing some of that ourselves on our own paper. Um, we're also we 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 have a branded uh, used car operation called uh, Motor Match. Yeah. And we're working very, very hard. Last year, that 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 particular part of our business sold uh, four thousand units, and we have a plan to take that to ten thousand units over the next two years um, to protect ourselves, if you like, from yeah. um, reducing margins from the franchise uh, dealerships. And we're working extremely hard on uh, the connected car issue because if we're going to have reasonable margins we have got to like the rest of the trade become more proficient in the in the after sales arena yeah um yeah. i think I'm, I'm actually not unduly worried that electrification will mean less visits by the um the customers to the workshops because these cars are very very heavy when they've got the batteries in 
So they're going to they're going to absolutely eat through tires. Yeah. They're going to eat brakes. Yeah. And also um, a lot of these electric cars are coming up with um, steering and suspension problems because of the actual weight of the battery. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there is going to be a reluctance, I think, from the um, the independents to want to work on electric vehicles. So we actually might keep see those electric vehicles longer. So I'm not unduly worried about that. No. I am concerned long term about the um, the, um, the the amount of margin that we make on selling oil, because yeah. for many years that's been very, very lucrative for us. Um, so that's how our um, plans are progressing. You know, I'm not going to resist it because I think that's like King Canute trying to tell the tide to stop going back. Yeah. Um, but I think um, there's just as big a risk for the uh, the OEMs because they are going to struggle at it, it, as long as there is huge demand for their product. Yeah. Then the agency will work, but the market doesn't always work like that. And very often you've got to push certain yeah. products. Um, I don't know whether or not, and they haven't got a history of, of reacting quickly, whether or not the OEMs will be able to act as a retailer in inverted commas. Yeah. We could, we could see um, things go a complete 360 degrees. Who knows? Yeah. Or, you know, uh, massive variations in agency model 1.0 might become uh, 5.0 reacting yeah. to different market conditions so yeah that's uh, fascinating I mean I guess just to finish you know I, I guess if you look back at the, the the over 20 years I've been looking at the industry you've been in the industry a lot longer than that there's the the, the industry has always faced challenges and they've always come out at the other side I, I personally don't think the the dealer groups and the industry get the credit they deserve for the nimbleness no, and, and, and I, their ability I, I, to I, get I, I through agree. that. So I think it's going to be sure there's going to be challenges in the next couple of years. But, you know, will that will that stop you from advancing your profitability and growing your platform? Probably not. It probably it probably won't. Um, what we haven't worked out because where what retailers are very good is finding and exploiting the little loopholes that are always around and you find that that's where the dealers that make sort of like two percent and above tend to be very good at and mm -hmm. um i think the fact that we're privately owned we've got a very flat structure um that john david and myself are in work on a day-to-day -day basis continually thinking and 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 trying to work out the situation i'm um i'm quite sure there will be opportunities afforded to us and i'm always of the belief that when the oem struggles it tends to be um that when the retailer profits yeah yeah well peter i certainly won't be betting against you and your family give, give you know given what i've known about what you're able to produce over the last few years and well, thank really you. appreciate your time today and look forward to catching up with you at the next automotive event you will indeed thanks mike great thanks, to speak peter. to you thank cheers you. bye this content is issued by zeus capital limited which is authorized and regulated in the united kingdom 
by the Financial Conduct Authority for designated investment business and is a member firm of the London Stock Exchange. Nothing in this podcast should be viewed as investment advice. Listeners should consult an investment professional before making any decisions regarding topics mentioned in this podcast. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the participants and not of Zeus. Please note that participants in this podcast may have financial interests in the matters discussed.